Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Scripture this morning is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. If you're looking at the Pew Bible, page 1842, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You may be seated. God is good all the time. It's good to have you with us. If you're visiting, I saw several visitors, was able to say hello to a few of you, but I want you to know that you're welcome. And we have Sunday school classes after our worship concludes uh, for all ages of children and adults as well. So if you'd be interested in that, see one of us, we'll be glad to direct you. Glad that uh, Mike, you and Doug and Rick, was there anyone else? I know Seth went the week before. Glad that y'all had a good time in Honduras and made it back safely. Uh, you'll notice some gaps this morning because uh, a considerable number of our congregation went with our youth group to CYC in Gatlinburg, and that's Challenge Youth Conference is what that is. Uh, we have, my wife and I, Stephanie and I have been a few times, and there's nothing quite like a convention center with about 13,000 Christians, give or take, lifting their voices in praise to God. You know, that song that you just led, Derek, it's beautiful harmonies. And I get chills when I hear the, the harmonies. But imagine 13,000 people in a convention center that has great acoustics. It's really, really beautiful. So they're in Gatlinburg today, and they're going to be on their way back home this afternoon. So let's pause for a moment and offer prayer to God. Our Lord and Father in heaven, we pray to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Father, we thank you that Doug, Rick, and Mike, and Seth have all returned safely from Honduras. And Father, we pray that they were a blessing to the people there and that they were in turn blessed by serving. We pray also for our youth group and all the chaperones that went. We pray that they were blessed by being in one another's company and also in a great host of Christians. And Father, we pray that they will continue to be a blessing to others. See them safely home too, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. A churchgoer wrote a letter to the editor in a newspaper, and he said something to the effect of, I've gone to church for 30 years, I've heard over 3,000 sermons, but for the life of me, I cannot tell you what one of them was, and I feel like I'm wasting my time and the preacher's wasting his time. 
Well, you can imagine in this small town when this guy wrote this letter that it, it took a, several weeks long of people replying and writing to the editor trying to answer this guy or give him guidance. Some of them were just outright rude and unkind. But it seemed to end when one fellow wrote in. He says, I've been married for 32 years. In that time, my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals. But for the life of me, I can't recall the entire menu for a single of those meals. But I know this. They all nourished me and gave me strength for the work I needed to do. If my wife had not given me these meals, I'd be physically dead today. Likewise, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, I would be spiritually dead today. Towards the ends of this passage, there is the mention of some who are forsaking assembling with the saints. And I'm going to get into the reason why that was, because I think it's important for us before we go right to the heart of the matter. A friend of mine wrote a commentary on the book of Hebrews, and in his introduction, I want to read you a part of his introduction. He says, in the ICU, we have wondered whether Jesus is greater than sickness or cancer. As markets crashed, jobs were lost, or mortgages were unpaid, we have wondered whether Jesus is greater than turmoil. Beset by seemingly unquenchable desires, we have wondered whether Jesus is greater than temptation. Hearing news of another mass shooting, we have wondered whether Jesus is greater than hatred. While watching two planes fly into the World Trade Center, we have wondered whether Jesus is greater than terror. At the grave of a parent, spouse, child, or friend, we have wondered whether Jesus is greater than death. If your Bible is open to Hebrews 10, I want to look with you at a few passages in the Hebrew letter. And the first that I want us to look at are in chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with great sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven." This is the stage of what these Christians were facing. They were all Jewish Christians. That's why this is called a letter to the Hebrews. And because of all the persecution they were facing, they're beginning to wonder, is this really worth it? You know, when we went to the temple, when we went to the synagogue, we didn't face the scrutiny, and nor did we face the persecution that we face. And so the whole letter of Hebrews is an effort to try to persuade them that what we have in Jesus Christ is far greater than what is on that hill there in the middle of Jerusalem. But you can understand that when people go through struggles, it really causes them to question things. Should I keep doing this? Is this really worth it? Why is this happening to me? And on and on and on it goes. So all the way up to this point, the author is making the case as to why they shouldn't go back to Judaism, but they should continue to have their faith in Christ. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 16, there's a passage where Jesus and his disciples, they've, they've gone to a region. It's called Caesarea Philippi. And in this region at that time, they could probably see the various temples that had been erected to all the idols in, uh, in the Roman kingdom. 
And so Jesus asked them a question. Who do you say that I, uh, rather, who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they answered, well, some say John or Elijah or one of the prophets. And Okay, that's what everybody else is saying. And then Jesus asked them, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus blesses Peter. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, Matthew is the only gospel that has that particular story and those exact words of Jesus. Now, when I say church, you probably think a building, stained glass windows, uh, various things like that. But I think the Jewish understanding in the first century was far different from how we understand church. Sometimes that Greek word translated church, ecclesia, it's, it's, it's translated in other Greek literature as assembly or, or congregation. And it's the exact word used in the book of Exodus, in the Greek Old Testament, when all of Israel was assembled at the mountain of Sinai. And there they see, through terror and fear, the presence of God up on the mountain. They hear His voice. But they are all assembled. There was no radio channel to listen to, to pick this up. There was no live stream where you could comfortably sit at home and see this. They were there all together. When you think of church, it's not something that is. It's something we do. We assemble. Obviously, there are you know, factors on this earth that prohibit people from being with the church. There could be health concerns. There could be uh, health limitations and such. But if you can go out and eat at a restaurant, if you can go out and go shopping, if you can go out to a sports game, you can go to church. And many, you'll see them out and about, and you go, well, hey, well, come to church. Well, I can't come to church, this, that, and the other, da, 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 da. Well, you're out here. Notice I didn't say doctor's appointments. Those are essential. You got to go to those. But many people have substituted the assembling of ourselves together with radio, which is a wonderful medium, or live stream, which is also a wonderful medium. But I would prefer that we, as God's people, see these mediums as an outreach opportunity, as evangelistic efforts, not as an effort to slack off as a Christian and not give God our presence. That is what Jesus had in mind, the people of God together, because this, this our being here, if you don't like church, you're not going to like heaven. I don't know if you've heard it put that way. But essentially, this is, well, let, let me, I'm trying to think of the phrase, I can't think of it. Um, when I was in high school, I sang in our chorus. I was a baritone, and we would, for hours throughout the week, rehearse. You know, I've always wondered how musicians, like in these long-form operas, how do they not, I would forget words, that's a lot of words. But we would have, but I'm like, well, we rehearsed those songs so many times, every day, Monday through Friday. And then as we got close to the time for the recital to perform, we really amped it up. You would have your regular rehearsal during the day. And then at the end of the evening, uh, at the end of the school, you'd come back and you'd rehearse some more. That way, when it's time to get up on that stage and it's time to perform, we didn't hold notebooks. You notice a lot of those singers hold notebooks with the lyrics. No, our uh, Egyptian taskmaster of a music leader said, you stand here at attention, you're going to sing from memory. And so when I see people swaying and all this when they're singing, I'm like, I can't move. That's how we were trained. 
but we would do all that practicing for the day of the performance. So our coming to be here together is a sort of a dress rehearsal for heaven, if you will. And so they are beset by earthly troubles and trials, and it's understandable. Okay, life is difficult, but remember, as the author says, you gladly accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Yes, it's not all nice down here on earth, but gosh, fellas, we got folks, ladies and fellas, we have something far better awaiting for us. And I really, really wish you all believe that. I know many of you do, but a lot of us, we go, it sounds nice. Yeah, I, I like the notion of it, but you go, I can't see it right now. Can't put my hands on it right now. So I'm just content to go, okay, preacher, thank you. Thank you very much. But we do have a greater enduring possession in the heavens. And so if I can keep my mind fixed on that, I can deal with anything on this earth. You know, sometimes people, who was it I was talking to late, uh, recently? I can't, I talked to so many people I can't recall, but we were talking about, yeah, you know, this is what we're facing there. We got to get this, 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 that, and the other, you know, the laundry list of things that are obstacles in the present. And they said, but you know, if that's the worst we got to deal with, that's okay. And I love that attitude because a lot of the things that we deal with are not life-changing, life-ending, they're just inconveniences. And when you consider heaven, this world is nice. We live in a great country. I don't care what you say. It's a great country. Now, how you feel about government, that's okay, that's another issue. We live in a great country. We live in a great community. When we lived in New Concord years ago, we felt a sense of community and love unlike any other. We hadn't been at New Concord very long, and maybe a few months, and Stephanie, one Wednesday, she's like, I'm sick at my stomach. Okay, so she stayed home. And I'm thinking, great, she's got a bug, and I'm going to wind up sick. Gary, I don't like stomach bugs. Gary dislikes them even more than I do. So I get home from church that, that Wednesday evening, and I go in to check on her. And she's, I still feel a little nauseous, not feeling that great. And, I, and for whatever reason, my brain said, hmm, this isn't an ordinary stomach thing. So I said, let me feel your belly. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. But when I felt her belly, it was hot, like, an, like a stovetop. I'm like, that's not a stomach bug. I don't know much, but that's not a stomach bug. Well, this hard-headed woman I married, she's like, oh, I'm fine. I'll, I'll sleep it off. So I'm like, no, we're going to the hospital. Well, she was about, her appendix was about to burst. And so I, you know, I was like, man, I got to take her, but the kids were asleep. And so we had uh, Charles and Marianna Stubblefield came over and sat with our kids while I took her to the hospital. And then while we're at the hospital, uh, Squirrel and Betty Guerin, some of you, I have no idea who these people are. If you know them, you're, you'll love them. If you don't know them, you should get to know them, though some of them have gone to be with the Lord. But Squirrel and Betty, they come up there and they stay with us at the hospital and to like 1, 2 a.m. in the morning, and they say, yep, ap appendicitis. Stephanie says to me, go home, take care of the kid. Okay. But they were there. They were there for us. That's what you get when you get a church family. You get people that care about you. And like every family, we all have that crazy, weird aunt or uncle 
Okay, and you're going to have that with church as well. But let's look at this passage here in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. There are three times that the author says, let us. And that's really what I want to focus on. Let us, number one, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. I think my voice just cracked. Excuse me, it's the allergies. When you consider everything that was just written, the point is to enter the presence of God and into a relationship with God through His Son. How is this achieved? How do we do this? Well, we do this through our baptisms, which has both an inner and an outer effect. Our hearts are sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies are washed in faith. A lot of people think baptism is a work, that we're trying to earn something by it. When you read Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, you see that it's our faith in God's working. It's not us working to earn anything because you can't earn anything. You can't earn salvation. I can't earn salvation. But if I have faith in God and God says, if you do this, this is what I'll do, I'm going to do what God says because he gives the promise attached with that. So let us draw near with a true heart, loyal heart, not wavering, but fully bought in. Secondly, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. So guys, the author says, are you going to treat Jesus as an appendage to your Jewish faith or are you going to treat Jesus as the fulfillment that supersedes previous practices and customs? I think many Christians are guilty of this as these believers were. Sometimes we treat Jesus as something we add to life rather than making him the center of our lives. When it becomes too hard, it's easy to trade him in. When following him demands too much, it's easy to let him be the attachment to our lives rather than the central figure. Where is Jesus in my life? Is he that central figure or is he just something that I attach to it and then maybe detach whenever it's too hard or when it's too convenient? Third, let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. There's a wonderful proverb, iron sharpens iron, and so one man encourages another. The point being is that we are not meant to be solely individual beings living on an island. We're meant to be a part of people. We're social beings, some of us more so than others, right, Cousin Cindy? Some of us are real social. Some of us are, eh, I may be a 16th social, right? And, and, and that's about as much. But we, no matter how social, antisocial you are, you've got your tribe, your people that are always there no matter what. It only goes to show that very thing. So when you think of our nation and our Bill of Rights, it centers on individual rights, individual liberties as far as politics are concerned. And that's okay. But unlike that, our faith doesn't insist on individuality, but sees us as a part of a group. Jews outside of Judea weren't always treated with welcome, so they usually stuck together. And because of the hostility they faced when this was written, some have maybe even excluded themselves from the private assemblies held. But let's read verse 24 and 25 in their totality. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. How do we do this? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. Some have quit. Some no longer come. But we who come, let's consider others. 
to stir one another up to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. William Hendricks wrote a book, it's called Exit Interviews, Revealing Stories of Why People Are Leaving the Church. In this book, he identifies six factors that put a person at risk for taking a leave of absence from church. Number one, a major life event. It could be graduation, marriage, divorce, death in the family, a sudden change in finances. Experiences like these cause one to reevaluate life and sometimes explore alternatives. Second, a change in church. Maybe you have new leadership or a new location, or maybe your best friends have left and no longer come here. When your notion of church, of church is forced to change, it can be hard to stick around. Three, prolonged stress. If you've been battling career or financial uncertainty, long-term illness in the family, trying to start a new business, being faced with prolonged stress gives a tendency to put church on the back burner or to turn it off altogether. Number four, unresolved issues. A chronic unresolved issue, such as a festering conflict and needs left unattended are like acid on a man's spirit. Unless he finds resolution, he will eventually become disillusioned. Number five, not using your gift, whatever that may be. If you don't know what that gift is and if you're not using it to serve the body of Christ, you're crippling your spiritual life. And there are few things that place you more at risk than this, not using your gifts, whatever they may be. And six, burnout. If you've ever noticed, there tends to be a group of folks within every congregation and they do everything. And sometimes others will join, but the ones that always do, they are the ones always recruiting and making sure that there are enough bodies to show up and to do the work. It's time for some of us to step up. When you think about it, when I was a kid, it, there was uh, Granny White was her name. She was in charge of the kitchen. I don't think the elders put her in charge. She just assumed control. And so whenever there is a potluck, that's that thing Gary explained this morning, the potluck. Whenever there was a potluck or some kind of church meal or whatever, uh, uh, Granny White, she was the one that was always in that kitchen. And if you step foot in that kitchen, you need to understand you step foot in that kitchen in order to be told what to do. Because that was her kitchen. That's how she ran that thing. Well, she got to an age to where she could no longer do it. So someone needed to fill that gap. And so it is with, with uh, funeral meals, with potlucks, with all the various things that we do here. Many who serve over at the Caring and Sharing Building. You know, it, it doesn't have to be something that you consider to be the most fantastic, marvelous thing to serve the Lord. You serve the Lord by serving other people. You serve the Lord by the small things that you do. Everyone has a place. It's a matter of finding your place and stepping in. Now, maybe this is your first time at church in a long time. Maybe you're thinking, well, this is going to be my last time as well for a long time. <laughs> that wasn't the motive and that wasn't the goal. Um, and maybe you have come here on this particular day and maybe this is God's way through this lesson to try to encourage you. 
you know, one thing that I want you to know above all is God loves you. He cares for you. He sent his son to die for you. He wants to be in your life and he wants you to be in his. And maybe you think, well, I've been gone too long. I just don't know. It doesn't matter how long you've been gone. What matters is that you've come back. Our dear late brother, Jackie Guerin, told me this story several times. And I know he wouldn't mind me telling it because he was pretty forthcoming about his battles in the past. Jackie struggled with alcoholism for a long time and was away from the church for a long time. And I know several people would reach out to him, would go visit him, try to encourage him. But Jackie told me this. He said, I was so scared to walk back into Glendale that first Sunday, I decided I was going to do better. He said, but when I walked in, he said, John Dell was there and John hugged me and he said, welcome home. That's what you get. Welcome home. When the prodigal son returned home, his father didn't lecture him. His father didn't berate him. His father didn't give him down the road about it. He was so happy that his son came home. He ran to him, which was undignified for an elder man to do, to run. He ran to his son, probably covered in muck and mire from when he was in the pigsty, smelling like who knows what. Didn't stop a loving father from embracing his son and kissing him and rejoicing that his son had come back home. So if that's you, I want you to know you will get a welcome home. You won't get berated. You won't get a lecture. You'll get a welcome home. And I want to give a challenge to this congregation. If you look around you and notice a space where someone used to be but are no longer there, I want you to be the one to reach out. Give them a call. Stop by their house for a visit. Send them a card. Reach out somehow. And let them know that they're missed and that they're cared about. Because I can't tell you how many times people have said, I've not, I've not been in who knows how long and nobody's checked on me. You ever heard that? Let me disabuse you of that. What they mean by no one may mean an elder or a preacher, but they don't mean Gary. Gary has a running tally of attendance. That's why he asked for you to fill out those cards every week. Because we have a nice little spreadsheet, we put that in, and we can do a printout, and we'll go, okay, they've missed one Sunday, we're not going to bother them, people miss one Sunday, this, okay, they missed two Sundays, okay, we'll keep an eye on that, they've missed three Sundays back to back, we might want to check and see what's going on. And Gary's the one that always makes those calls. So apparently, Gary, when people say, nobody's reached out to me, you're nobody. But I'll tell you, to us, you're somebody. They, their opinion doesn't matter. So this is what I want to challenge you to do. Notice the empty seats. Be the one to reach out. Be the one to encourage. Remind people that God loves them and remind them also that when they come back, they will get a welcome home back and the building will not cave in on them. Right, Frida? I love her. Let's pray one more time and we're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your love and forbearance with us all. We all sometimes face different temptations, different struggles, but my prayer is for those who may be facing such that they would not become an obstacle to their devotion to you. We know that you love them. And Father, we pray that 
they would have the assurance of that love. They would have the assurance of a welcome home. And help us as we notice those who are missing as we reach out to them. Give us wisdom to say something kind and encouraging and something that will hopefully encourage them to come back to join this assembly, to worship you, to praise you, for you are a great and mighty God worthy of our adoration. For each of us, Lord, we ask that you forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for forgiveness. And Father, be with us and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have an opportunity to be welcomed home. If you wish to do so publicly, come forward as we stand together and sing.